There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Set. In today's episode, there's news of a male contraception pill, there are heat waves on the polar ice caps, and a doctor goes viral on TikTok for connecting famine to physiology. But first, it was on this week in 2020 that the number of COVID-19 cases worldwide passed one million. Two years on, we're still learning how to live with the virus. In 1960, the pill hit the market and changed women's lives forever. This wonder drug gave women highly effective control over their fertility and their futures. Now, a new birth control pill could be hitting the scene, but this time for men. Developed by scientists at the University of Minnesota, it's been found to be 99% effective in preventing pregnancy and tests in mice. The breakthrough medication could bring balance to the contraceptive burden with far fewer options available to men. Dr. Gunder George led the research and has been working on a non-hormonal male birth control for the past 20 years. We want a non-hormonal um, contraceptive agent because we don't really want to interfere with the hormonal balance in males because uh, that has been done before and uh, there were several side effects and that approach has never reached the market. Of course, negative side effects are not uncommon when it comes to the hormonal contraceptives available to women. So you might be wondering, why are men getting such special treatment? Graduate student Abdullah Al-Naman weighs in. Targeting male sex hormone leads to a lot of side effects, such as weight gain and depression, and also increased risk for cardiovascular diseases. And since men do not have to trade off between the pregnancy and the side effect, men are less willing to take a birth control pill that has such significant side effect. That's why we are targeting a non-hormonal pathway to develop a male birth control pill. The pills haven't been tested on humans yet, but the results from mice are very promising. So the mice were fed uh, the drug at a dose of 10 milligram per kilogram for about a month. And as they were getting the drug, their sperm counts went down and um, they could no longer impregnate uh, the mice. So that was a wonderful example of, you know, a very effective drug. And the effect was about 99%. And so then we also discontinued the drug And then after about four weeks or so, uh, fertility turned and uh, the mice were fully uh, fertile again. So that's a really, really great result. You can induce um, sterility and when you withdraw the drug, normal sperm counts come back and pregnancies are induced. And during all of this, the mice seem to be very happy and uh, we did not see any um, side effects. So the mice seem happy, but what about the humans? When will we be able to know how the medicine works in us? We have licensed uh, this um, compound to uterine therapeutics and they're moving forward very quickly uh, to get to a clinical trial. And so we hope that by the end of the year we will, or during this year, we will uh, have the first clinical trial. And I hope that by next year we will have the first results.
Microplastics, tiny plastic particles, are found almost everywhere on Earth. Scientists have detected them from the peak of Mount Everest, in the Mariana Trench, and even in baby poo. Now researchers have found the pollutant in an even more worrying place, human blood. Researchers took blood samples from 22 donors and tested them for five different types of plastic. Plastic particles were going in 17 of the study participants. All the microplastics and nanoplastics we are exposed to, we inhale and we ingest. That actually, you know, they, they, there's so much plastic that it can even enter our bloodstream. That was Dick Vethak, a Dutch ecotoxicologist who led the study. Although animal studies hinted that some plastics could enter the bloodstream, interpreting their results within a human health context is far from straightforward. What happens to these particles in our body? And do they travel to certain organs? Do they accumulate there? Are they eliminated by the bile or the, the kidney? There's also the question of whether the plastics are free-floating in the plasma or being gobbled up by white blood cells. Each scenario would have ramifications on how particles move about and what bodily systems they might affect most. As for the long-term impact of microplastics in blood, that's still unknown, but the prospects are worrying. You should be concerned. It should not be there in plastic particles. It doesn't belong in your body. But at the same time, you have to understand we are exposed to so many particles and chemicals. So uh, it's part of that. But uh, yes, I, I, I would be uh, concerned, particularly if you look at the future scenarios that we can expect growing levels of microplastic exposure in the future, in the coming decades. So it's not something that uh, we can fix uh, straight away or in a couple of years. It's something we have to deal with in the coming decades as one of the uh, emerging environmental problems. Still to come on the Sunday 7, the Arctic's experiencing heat waves and an explanation as to why the blue Smarty went missing. An unprecedented heat waves hit Antarctica this month, with temperatures soaring 40 degrees Fahrenheit higher than normal. It's arrived at the same time as an Arctic heat wave and another coral bleaching event on the Great Barrier Reef. The events have left scientists shocked. Dr. Matthew Lazara, senior scientist at the Antarctic Meteorological Research, spoke with Forbes and explained what's happening. In essence, you had much warmer air coming from further to the north. And so that brought in more warm air and clouds kind of acted like a little bit of a blanket that kind of actually um, uh, brought some of their own little bit of warming in, perhaps. And so some of these are the potential reasons in combination that gave us such warm temperatures. You might be tempted to point the finger at climate change, but Matthew is hesitant. It's hard to have the one specific event tied to change. However, it's, you know, if we start to see more of these, if they continue to have this kind of intensity, then it's starting to be something that we go, oh, we're starting to see more of that connection um, because it would become part of the climate record and it really would be time to change. I suspect we'll continue to always have winter warmings, whether we'll continue to have them this warm. It could be an unfortunate new normal, um, given that we are living in a warming world, but we will find out how that frequency turns out. I don't know if this is something that we would see next year or in five years. It's just hard to know. Teams from NASA JPL have been monitoring the effect on massive ice sheets in areas like Greenland. They say that whilst the recent temperature spikes may be unusual, the melting already being observed raises significant concerns. Here's Dr. Eric Ivans. These are anomalies. We don't know why, why they occur, but... We do know that there's warming occurring, uh, especially in the oceans around Antarctica. We know that uh, the atmosphere 
and uh, the climate is warming generally in the Arctic. Following the heat wave, a massive ice shelf the size of Los Angeles broke loose, and that means rising sea levels. Sea level rise is being done by a couple of avenues. One is the ocean is warming up, which expands it. So it takes up more space. That alone is a starting point. And then yes, we're adding water to the ocean in a variety of places. Um, the ice sheets in the Arctic are one. Greenland is another. Tropical glaciers. Uh, there's a few spots in the world where they're also starting to contribute an awful lot. And so this is kind of an additive thing when you start adding all of them up. You know, we are starting to see some of that rise. As for Matthew's message for policymakers, he keeps it very simple. We don't have another Earth elsewhere to find out what would it be like if we hadn't done some of the things that we're doing to the environment. Um, and so that, you know, this, with this being it, this is all we have, um, there's a real need to be able to have it be um, you know, a place that we can have not only for us, our children and our grandchildren. And so if we want to have that kind of vision, there's a real need to make policy that protects that. Um, and there's some very hard decisions to be made to get there, and I hope we can do that. Um, I still think there's possibility for it, um, and there is definitely need to do it and doing it soon. Do you know why the blue smart has disappeared for a while? No, me neither, actually. Well, I know someone who does. Dr Anne Youngblood, a researcher at the Natural History Museum. Anne, what's going on? When it was decided to only use natural food colourings for Smarties, it turned out that the blue dye was a bit of a challenge. Eventually, it was found that it's possible to use a molecule from microscopic organisms. So the blue colour in Smarties comes from spirulina, it is a microscopic organism called cyanobacteria. Cyanobacteria means blue bacteria in ancient Greek. Cyanobacteria use photosynthesis to make energy using light. And this blue molecule helps them to capture light for their growth. And so thanks to cyanobacteria, we have blue Smarties back on our shelves. Still to come on the Sunday 7, how famine affects physiology for generations and could coal make crypto greener? Right after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. A lot of you are wondering why South Asian bodies are so different. Why do South Asians have such a tendency to generate and store fat and not burn it off with low lean muscle mass? This all points to an adaptation to starvation. What you just heard there was the viral TikTok of Dr. Mubin Syed. The radiologist from Ohio, who also works in vascular and obesity medicine, made the link between famine and the body composition of South Asians in a video that's now been watched almost half a million times. 
As he explains in the video, South Asians have a tendency to generate and store fat and not burn it off, amassing low lean muscle mass. Dr. Saeed points out that it's because South Asians are starvation adapted due to having to survive at least 31 famines under 120 years of British rule. Britain used exploitive trade practices to siphon an estimated $45 trillion in wealth out of India, while tens of millions of South Asians died in hunger. There was definitely a lot of stress, a lot of mental anguish going on. Um, I know that uh, there is a multi-generational effect of trauma experienced by one generation that is passed down through epigenetics. Um, our body wants to store fat and it wants to uh, maintain a low lean muscle mass because muscle burns up calories. You know, if you're in a starvation state, the last thing you want to do is burn up calories. South Asians are up to six times more likely to develop diabetes than Europeans and also have a higher chance of contracting the disease. We need to treat our bodies differently. We have a unique physiology. You need to be extra careful. Otherwise, you're going to uh, be a victim of this health crisis that's affecting South Asians. This is a solvable problem. Before colonization, South Asia had complex health practices to regulate the body. South Asians were had a very well-developed system of medicine, and it was quite advanced. And there's a lot of principles that we could incorporate to be healthy from Ayurveda and uh, you know, from Unani medicine that have really been lost or are not practiced. But overall, there, there's a lot of stuff that can be gained by returning to our roots, to learn the lifestyle of our ancestors, to eat the quantity of foods that they ate. It's important to know that we probably are overindulging and we're not being as active as we should as our ancestors were. Our bodies are more adapted to their lifestyle than it is to the lifestyle of um, what you'd experience in a, in a modern society where you drive everywhere, you're sitting in a chair all day um, in front of a screen. Each ethnicity needs to know the particular unique physiologies of, of each other, and the physicians should be trained appropriately so that they can recognize and properly treat and care for you know, their patients. <laughs> not map the ocean floor at this point in time in history. It's the largest data gap, knowledge gap potentially left on the planet. Bedrock's a company aimed to fix that. They're building ocean drones or autonomous underwater vehicles to collect all kinds of data about the seafloor and have a platform that marks that data accessible. Co-founder Anthony Demare says that surveying the ocean floor will be integral to life over the next 50 years. It is unbelievable how little we know about the ocean in comparison to Mars or other planets. This could test the future of many industries from energy such as wind and oil to more out-of-the-box ideas like underwater data centres. But right now, a big issue is actually being able to see and understand the physical space. Right now, the industry is basically relying on these huge ships. The United States gold requires an unbelievable amount of surveying to the point where even if we could allocate all of the survey vessels that we have now just towards supporting this activity, we don't have enough. That's a scary bottleneck to sort of realize. 
the second part of the equation is now we have this enormous geospatial data set that needs to be processed, needs to be organized, and it needs to be ultimately delivered to some end client or system to do something. In fact, it is likely and expected to be the largest geospatial data set on Earth. Just physically, think about it, it's two thirds of the Earth. At the moment, we make a lot of decisions without fully understanding the impact of exactly what those activities are doing and how that affects the ecosystem. Fundamentally, we're gonna be living in a world where there's a lot more people, where we need a lot more food, where we need a lot more infrastructure that will rely almost inevitably on the ocean floor. As cryptocurrencies have exploded in popularity, so is the amount of electricity required to mine the digital tokens, raising concerns over its environmental impact. For one company in Pennsylvania, USA called Stronghold, mining Bitcoin could actually be a way to reduce environmental waste and clean up their community. The company burns leftover and harmful waste from abandoned coal mines to generate electricity that powers hundreds of supercomputers running around the clock to mine Bitcoin. On average, more electricity is used annually to create Bitcoin than is used in the entire country of Finland. Although it's far from a perfect solution to energy generation, it does mitigate a centuries-old coal problem. The Bitcoin mining network itself is the largest decentralized computer network in the world, and it's power-hungry. So co-locating a Bitcoin mine at a power plant uh, makes a lot of sense. That was Greg Beard, the company's CEO with Reuters. He says that more than 800 abandoned coal mining sites in Pennsylvania alone have the potential to produce electricity for Bitcoin. They're all overrun with coal ash, the byproduct of burning coal for electricity. Pennsylvania is sort of ground zero for where coal has been mined for more than 100 years. And before 1974, all of that coal waste wasn't required to be cleaned up. Coal ash can leach into groundwater and pollute waterways with heavy metals that many consider to be carcinogens. Stronghold collects coal ash from defunct mines and processes it at a facility where it's stored, crushed and burned to generate the electricity to power the company's Bitcoin mining operation. And we mine, you know, around five Bitcoin a day today. And that number is increasing every day as we increase the... Uh, the number of servers that we're running. It's by no means perfect as burning coal ash still releases carbon into the atmosphere, but processing coal ash removes some of the harmful chemical content. Plus Beard says his business has created hundreds of new jobs in the region. You know, we've made a lot of progress in the past couple of years. And so I'm really proud of what we built. And I think in a way, having the reclamation business and Bitcoin coupled, we're really taking what's a you know, new world, you know, blockchain, crypto, and using that to clean up what's a, you know, a, an old, old problem. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favor and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced, and published by Daft Doris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.